Today my presentation and well, the workshop is on open source geocoding. So just the structures, I'm going to take you through a quick presentation, just give you a high level overview, and then I'm going to switch to a little bit more of the workshop. For those of you that are worrying, you didn't do your prep work, I didn't send out prep work because it, I knew it would arrive later on the Friday and no one actually gets to do the prep work. So when I was thinking of doing this presentation, I thought back to a friend's birthday party. She lived far. She lived north of Pretoria. So there I was on the way to her house. Being Clive, I was typically running late. But anyway, I was driving there. I had two hands firmly attached to my map book. My eyes were absolutely squarely focused on page 34 block GG, trying to work out which turn I need to use. My biggest concern at that point in time was that I was going to not look at the road and crash. Nowadays, if I go to my friend's house, my biggest concern is that my cell phone battery dies. Then I have no clue where my friend's house is. I have no clue how to get to my friend's house. And I actually don't know how to make a phone call, or neither do I know any of my friend's numbers. So now, we all sit around with charges. I guess that's applicable in terms of insurance, particularly on the non-life side. Things have changed. 10 years ago, a couple years ago, just before Sam, we only got board rows. You were lucky if you got actual policy details. We've now moved into an environment where we're actually trying to do better. We're getting more risk information. And hopefully today, I'm going to discuss some of what can be done. So firstly, I'm just going to talk about why do we care about geocoding? Why do we want to do it? I'm then going to discuss some of the peculiarities and challenges we face in the South African market and how we're different to a lot of other countries. I'm also then going to discuss why we shouldn't use Google. I'm not saying Google's bad, it's actually a phenomenal product, just discuss why. And then I'm going to discuss the open source data sets that are available that we can use for geocoding and for mapping. And lastly, there's going to be a practical demonstration. So if you're wondering, yes, I'm running two laptops that are hotspotting to each other, so hopefully this all works out. So why do we want to do geocoding? Why do we care about geospatial analysis? Well, firstly, it's pretty cool. It's quite nice what you can do and actually gets you excited. I guess the next is you can actually use it. You can plot information, you can design heat maps, you can do a whole lot of stuff that actually helps you understand your information. You know, trying to explain your risks to your risk committee, you can summarize it fairly well with a simple graph. Not only that, but in terms of your pricing, once you've got accurate GPS coordinates, you can actually start to augment your pricing data sets with a whole lot of extra information. You can start to use spatial smoothing techniques to actually improve the predictive capabilities of your models. And then I guess lastly, there's a regulative requirement. In fact, attachment nine says you need to calc the, the maximum exposure located within a radius of 200 meters. Now, if you actually go into the technical detail of doing that calculation, it gets ridiculously complicated. For those of, that, of us that fill out the QRTs, we're probably using approximations somewhere. We're just picking the largest risk. We're not actually doing it. But if you look in the past, there is a need for more detailed exposure information. The knives and the fires was probably quite a lesson. Because if you plot the exposure that you as an insurer had in that postal code or that Cresta zone, you didn't have any exposure issue. If you actually went to where all those houses burnt down, they were within a couple hundred meters on the side of a river. 
but Niza is not, St. Francis isn't unique. We've seen the Niza fires, Klein Kariba flooding, Kruger floods. All of these are talking about just trying to understand where your risks are. Most of us are still probably dealing with cresta zones, the old cresta zones, not even the new cresta zones, but they don't actually give you enough detail. But I'm not going to say geocoding and geospatial analysis is something you take over today. It's a journey. I can assure you the first time you try and geocode or do any analysis on your data, it will be hopeless. You think you've got accurate data until you actually analyze and interrogate your data, you actually realize you've got very poor data. Furthermore, being able to plot your exposure and to work out how far your exposures are from a river or dam isn't actually going to explain your catastrophe risk. It gives you an appreciation, but if you actually try and model a flood event, it gets a lot more complicated. It's not as simple as saying these risks are within 400 meters of a river, because depending on the height, surrounding area features, 400 meters could be very close to the river, or it's never actually going to reach that. But I think it's important you need to start somewhere. There's a phrase that says the best time to plant a tree was two years ago, the second best time is now. And that's true for geocoding. If you don't start, you're always going to be saying, well, what if? Start somewhere and build slowly. You've got to balance the amount of effort you put into it and the cost. You know, it's very difficult to justify sinking a million rand, half a million rand up front, and you have nothing to show. You'd rather invest gradually over time and improve it. And as business sees value in it, then you can actually start investing more money in it. So if we look at the South African context, who here went through the debacle of the recent municipal valuations? So if you looked at that, everyone got their houses adjusted, some people's houses squared in value. And if you actually looked at it, that whole process underlied some of the challenges Joburg has with their data, trying to get actual deeds information, trying to get the actual addresses. The answer in South Africa is a lot of our spatial information, a lot of our deeds information is privatized. The municipalities don't actually have a proper linking between deeds information and housing numbers. There's no central storage of information. Yes, we've got the Chief Surveyor General, but every single municipality has their own little database that they keep. So you've got this whole disparate amount of information that's stored in different sources, in different formats of different quality. And Generally, if we look at our suburbs and that, there's very little consistency in terms of how people address suburbs. People tell you they live in Johannesburg or Ramburg, but it's actually the same location. And I guess lastly is we're not part of the Open Address Project, which is a project that they're actually trying to do that will make every single address in the world a public information. That hasn't come to South Africa yet. For those of you that are familiar with our postal codes, particularly for non-life insurers, there's that list that you're required to fill in 10,000 postal codes. If any of you are actually filling in the 10,000 postal codes, you're doing it wrong, because there are only about 2,000 actual risk postal codes. There are a whole lot of PO box postal codes, which are not really actually valid. But also, our postal code covers large areas. Where I grew up, I grew up in postal code 2195, and I do a fair amount of cycling. I could ride 100 kilometers and still remain in postal code 2195. For those of you who are familiar with Johannesburg, that covered the top of Northcliffe Hill, 
to right near to the bromfontein spray. That was all it covered in postal code 2195. So if you're trying to analyze your exposure information using postal codes, you're missing a whole lot of information. There was a promise by the South African Post Office that they would update the postal codes. That was 10 years ago. So I wouldn't hold my breath that it's going to happen anytime soon. But related to postal codes is a project called Open Location Code, which is an initiative started out of Google, I think in their Zurich, uh, Zurich office, where they try and assign a 12-digit code to every single parcel of land in the world. That 12-digit code covers an area of 3.5 meters by 3.5 meters. So if you think back to your hotel room that many of you stayed in tonight, as much as it was probably really small in one bedroom, you may have had as many four open location codes covering your hotel room. The stand is covered by more than one location code. That's the amount of detail that you can get to with those. So why don't we want to use Google? I think all of us love Google. That's how we get to our friends. That's how we navigate. For those of us that are visiting Cape Town now, that's how we found our hotel rooms. We order our Ubers. That uses the Google API. The problem with Google is it's actually not a free service. When you as a corporate use the service, there are a whole lot of terms and conditions you need to comply with. So for those companies that are using Google and they're storing the geocoded addresses on their database, you're actually violating the Google terms and conditions because you're not allowed to cache those addresses for more than 30 days. Lastly is, well, Google also changes their terms and conditions, and they can decide when to do it. So on the 11th of June, 2018, they increased the cost of using their service 10 times. Sure, it's still only 50 US cents per 1,000 records, so it's really irrelevant, but they can change their terms and conditions at any point in time. For those of you that use the Google Maps interface, you used to be able to use it up to 1,000 requests a day, not actually needing to provide an API key. You now actually can't download a Google Map without providing an API key. Those are small changes, but they've got the option to change whatever they want. There are some poppy concerns. I guess you're sharing data with Google, but you can, to a degree, overcome those. If you post your data locally, you can avoid the whole poppy concerns. I think, lastly, my biggest motivation for this is why we want to consider open sources, is can you not democratize access to data? If you look at it, Wikipedia started off as this collection of pages on a website and no one really used it. If you're like me, if you're doing any proper research, you usually go to Wikipedia, read it so you can understand it, see what academic articles are referenced, and then you usually revert back to the Wikipedia page because you can actually understand it. <laughs> so one of the open source, and it's affiliated to Wikipedia, is OpenStreetMap. It's a completely open source map set of the entire world, and it's free to use. You can distribute it transmit it, adapt it, do whatever you want to. Not, the rights aren't completely unlimited, but you, it's a lot more open that you can use it. And their whole goal is to be the Wikipedia of the map world. Anyone can go in and edit it, and a whole lot of people have contributed to the maps over the world. In terms of the South African data, the South African data, parts of it have been provided by the Chief Surveyor General. So it's fairly accurate. Related to OpenStreetMap, there's been a whole lot of offshoot projects. So you've seen Nominatum. 
which is a geocoding application that uses OpenStreetMap data. You've got OSM names, which acts as a database to search for points of interest. Open Root Service is trying to give you directions based on OpenStreetMap. So it's effectively Google Maps, but open source. You've also seen Peleus and Geography. So those are commercial offerings that offer geocoding applications. But because they've used OpenStreetMap, they've actually had to make their code publicly available on open source projects. So if you want to, you can actually build and you can get the code for an OpenStreetMap encoder. Something like Peleus is being driven by Elasticsearch, which is used for large data sets. And to just give you an indication, Peleus needs 50 gigabytes of RAM to run. That's how complicated that geocoding algorithm is. It uses some pretty advanced machine learning technology. Now, I'm not going to discuss that one today, because if you go through the steps to install Peleus, it's about a four-week process to kind of understand. But I will be discussing Nominatum, and that you can set up fairly quickly. So this pretty much brings me to the end of the presentation. So what I'm going to discuss now is I'm just going to show you OpenStreetMaps. I'm going to then discuss some steps in R that you go through it. I guess not all of the steps are going to be covered. Um, to do some of this, the import of OpenStreetMap data runs for about two hours on a computer. I don't have two hours to show you that process. But I'm just going to highlight the idea is to just give you some practical methods. There's not going to be your end or solution that you'll be able to implement this at your company, but give you some pretty good ideas about how you can go about it. Further, it is available is there's a little redirect website to use, myshortpole.com forward slash geocoding. That just takes you to my Google Drive, where you're able to download this presentation, the R code, as well as a PDF document that kind of explains all the steps I went to to import the data. But with that, I'm going to just switch across to the practical part. So very quickly, this is actually the live OpenStreetMap that you'll find if you go to the website, so openstreetmap.org. And this is a completely freely available map. And using various sites, you can actually download sections of the map. Or you can, if you really want to, download the entire world. So to give you an indication, to download the map of South Africa with all of the addresses, all of the suburbs, all of the streets, you're looking at download compressed about 250 megabytes. The whole of Southern Africa fits into about 500 megabytes. If you go to the entire world, you're looking at multiple gigabytes. So to just give you a quick indication, so what I can do is I can search for an address, place I grew up. And there we go. So OpenStreetMap at the moment doesn't have housing information, although they are trying to populate that over time. But this is effectively. We've typed in an address, and it's been able to take it to us. If we just go back here, the one thing I just want to highlight here is, if you notice here, when it returns this address, it said it's 8th Avenue, Johannesburg Ward 89, Ramburg, City of Johannesburg. Now, the data that's been used to populate their suburbs by default is actually, they've put suburbs in as point estimates, particularly for Johannesburg. Cape Town is slightly better. They've put in actual suburbs. So whenever you try and geocode an address, it uses election wards. So one of the biggest complaints people have when they use OpenStreetMap 
is I don't, people don't exactly report their address. Oh, I live in Ward 89. I live in Ward 88. So your geocoding is going to fail. Fortunately, there's actually a very quick edit you can make to that map set. And what you can do is you can change the admin level, and then the geocoding actually works on suburb as opposed to wards. And to give you an indication, so you have to run OpenStreetMap on a Linux system, but it's two lines of code that will edit it, and that runs in about a couple minutes. So just to give you an example, so here I've gone in, if we type in the same address here, it now returns it 8th Avenue, Fairland, Ramburg, which is, I would say, close to the suburb I grew up. If you know the Northcliffe Fairlands area, there's a lot of debate as to where the exact line is. But So that's one simple map, or one simple edit, that means your geocoding result improves significantly. Now, if you're looking at using this, so you've got a whole of your addresses, and you're trying to understand where they are. It's probably a little unfair to expect your actuarial students to open the web page and start typing in addresses and clicking search all the time. But what you are able to do with Nominatum is you're actually able to, it's got an, interface, uh, an API that works on PHP. So what you're able to do is you can use any programming language. In my example, I'll show you an example with R, but you can use C++, you can use pretty much anything. If you want to, you can do it in VBA. And you can speak to that API and you can get the addresses. So to give you an example, by making a small change to what you input into the browser, so your query that you send to your server, you get data that looks like this. Now that doesn't make too much sense for us, but it's actually very easy to read it for a computer. It's in a, what they term a JSON format, and you can actually extract various pieces of information. So just to give you an your place ID is a unique ID that identifies the place. You've got your display name, which if you look to the right, gives you effectively the formatted address. And if we look over here on the coordinates, that gives us the actual coordinates of the entire street. So when you're using this through R, you send through a web request, it returns this data, and you can actually process that very quickly. And to be honest, so you'll be able to process thousands and thousands of addresses ridiculously fast. And I'll get to that now, just now. So just before I switch across to the R demonstration, the last thing I just want to show you is plus code. So it's open location code. Google calls it a plus code. Just to give you an idea of the detail you can get. So I've tried to map the entrance to the CTICC. And that little red block there defines the CTICC. So to just explain how small that block is, if you understand the area, that is identifying a small block on the pavement outside the CTICC. So if you walk outside the main entrance on that side, there's a roof above. It basically is identifying a little block that fits in that roof that covers your space. That's how detailed you can get. Now, unfortunately, people generally don't share open location codes freely and available, but if you, are, if you can get into certain areas sharing it, it makes it a whole lot easier when you're trying to do deliveries or trying to understand your risks. So if I quickly switch across to some R code, so an earlier presentation used a markdown. I haven't bothered to put this in a markdown. So what I've gone and 
built is I built like a little test dummy R package called Spatial Primer. Again, it's available. You'll be able to download it from that address. And what this does is it, it has got a whole lot of the code that's actually supporting this. So when you're seeing two or three lines of code here, there's actually a couple more lines of code to support the whole process. So what I've already gone and done is I went and found some addresses data. Uh, for any of my clients, don't worry, I haven't used any of your data. I went to the, yeah, well, the online white pages. I looked up the name Smith, and I just picked the first 250 addresses that came up there. So if your surname's Smith and you see your address on there, I wasn't stalking you. It just happened to be there. So what I'm quickly, so this is actually running a query of these 274 addresses. And basically what's happening is this computer is connecting to my cell phone, which is connecting to my other computer to send the data. Now that sounds really complicated. The only reason I'm having to do it that complicated is that laptop for some reason wouldn't present on that screen. But in a corporate environment, you could actually set this up as a separate server and you could run it. So you can either set it up as an Amazon web service if you don't have Linux in your organization, or you could ask your IT department to actually run it for you. For those of you that have really difficult IT departments and you're trying to do this on the forgiveness is easier than permission routine, you can actually run a nominatum instance on a device as simple as a Raspberry Pi. So you can actually have it running on a box that big next to your desk. And you can Wi-Fi hotspot it and you'd be able to do your geocoding with that. So the code has run here. And so just what this statistic, the 0.69 at the bottom, that's actually the failure rate on these addresses. So you're saying you had a 70% failure rate, it doesn't look that good. For those of you who have actually gone through corporate data, that's not that uncommon to have a 70% failure rate, um, particularly when you're doing it for the first time with addresses that aren't well formatted. So I can just... So these are the addresses, and if you see... And this is classically, it's actually a fairly common challenge that you see. So when you're looking at the addresses, we've got inconsistent formatting across them. We've got changes in names. We haven't got the post, the suburb coded separately. It's kind of jumped in with the rest of it. And there's no postal code. So when it's actually trying to do the geocoding, you can imagine it's struggling quite a bit. It's been given very poor data, very p poorly formatted data. But just then, so now what I'm going to do here is I'm actually going to try and geocode the address I used earlier, which is 8th Avenue Northcliffe 2195. Ew. Okay, oh, it's dropped the connection. Problem when you're using a Wi-Fi hotspot on your cell phone. But, so just to explain, what I've done here is the first tries to geocode it just using the address that you send through. And the function will fail on this address because 8th Avenue falls under Fairland, not under Northcliffe. But what I've designed the function to do, and again, you'd have to customize this for your organization, is you, if you can split out the street name, the suburb name, and the postal code, when you're actually doing a nominatum query, you can actually start sending through different combinations of parameters. So in this case, what the function does is it first sends through 
8th Avenue Northcliffe 2195, it fails. It then sends through 8th Avenue 2195, and on that it picks up a success. So building in some of those features in how you do the geocoding allows you, instead of you having to go through your data manually, you can actually rely on it. I haven't built it into the functionality, but you can also, with Nominatum, tell it, find a location close to this bounding box. So we know suburbs in Johannesburg are often poorly formatted. So what you can do is say, well, find the nearest 8th Avenue that's close to Northcliffe. And then you can say within a five kilometer radius, within a 10 kilometer radius, and you can actually get matches like that. So instead of you having to manually go through your data, keeping on looping, building that functionality into your code actually can help it. And I guess the excitement comes with geospatial analysis after you've done the geocoding. And that geocoding is probably the most painful process. It takes forever, but the advantage is once you've done it, you've got the data. Using Nominatum, you can actually store your GPS coordinates legally on your data set. So once you've got it, every month you just need to update it, and there's a whole lot of pretty nice analysis you can do. And I'm not exactly an expert at graphing, but what I've got here is I've got random addresses. They're actually schools and police stations that are extracted from the open street data. And for each of these, I've got a lo longitude and a latitude. And there's a completely dummy sum insured. So it's completely wrong. Please don't use it to analyze anything. But this is just the data that I'm going to use for this analysis. So once you've got your properly geocoded data, you'd kind of use your latitude and your longitude, and you don't need to use the name of the place, you can use a risk ID, you can use anything just to explain it. Okay, so what this has done very quickly in that time is it's gone and taken the data with the GPS coordinates and it's gone and aggregated it into various shapes. So what it's gone and done now is it's put all those risks by district municipality and it's summarized it. So what's taking a little bit of time now is just to display the map. So this is now a summary of the total exposure for each district municipality in South Africa. And the advantage is you can go click on some municipality close to Kimberley, and in this instance we have 68 million rands worth of exposure and there are 47 risks. Exposure per square kilometer is 5,300. Um, and you can actually then start to do this in even more detail. <laughs> okay, never do a live demonstration. Just change this. So what this is going to do is it's now going to summarize our data. So it's finished. But this is summarizing the data at a ward level. So if you think of all your local elections, you go and walk to your place of voting. This is the type of detail that you can actually summarize your data in. Um, 
And what, you're, what you are noticing is this map is taking a little bit of time to load. So it's actually having to draw 5,000 individual polygons on a map. And what's taking a little bit of time is my cell phone connection is obviously not that good in this room because it's actually it's downloading a base map from one of the servers. So in a normal environment, it actually operates a little bit quicker than this. But we'll just wait for it to give us an example of the map. Come on. It's about to come on. So that's pretty much Let's just zoom in. Sorry, I'm getting a slightly different image on my side. Ah. Usually isn't this slow. <laughs> oh. Uh, okay. Sorry, let me. So, effectively, what that does. If you get to the details, it actually gives you a summary by wards. There are 5,000 wards in South Africa, so you can imagine the amount of detail that that produces. And that's in a choropoth format. And one of the common complaints about a choropoth is, depending on your boundaries, you can actually get a very different view. And obviously, as you go down into more detail, you gain a more granular. But what happens if there's one house on the one side of the ward and just a few short meters away, you could have another house but in a completely separate ward? Okay, let me quickly reload my data. data, close that. So this calculation geosummary, what it's actually trying to do is it's trying to answer the question that the Prudential Authority put to us of can you summarize all your risks within 200 meters? So what this function actually goes and does is it takes every single point in your data and it tries calculates the distance with every other single point. Now, if you imagine, if you have only 100,000 points, that gets to an exceptionally large database because 100,000 times 100,000. So what you are able to do, though, is if you know the distance in latitudes between two different points, each degree of latitude is roughly 111 kilometers. So there's quite a quick filtering approach that you can go to to say, if my degrees of latitude are longer than a certain distance, you can compress it. So you're not actually having to do a full distance matrix multiplication. You can summarize it to a far shorter calculation. And actually, it's a calculation you can then do in memory. So what you do in the function is you actually use the functionality in the data table package, for anyone that's familiar with that in R. And you can join on your latitudes based that they're in a certain distance. And that significantly reduces the number of calculations that you actually have to do. 
it's also probably important is the various shapes about the Earth. So if we think of it, we all believe the Earth is round. People actually lie to us. It's more a bit of a rugby ball shape, just shape the other way on its side. So it's referred to as an ellipsoid. So as you get towards the poles, the shape changes slightly. So if you really want to do absolutely accurate calculations, you should be bearing in mind that the distances do change. For the purposes of the analysis we're doing, your accuracy by assuming a sphere versus ellipsoid is less than 0.5%. So you really don't care about that. In fact, calculating spherical distance can be argued to be a little bit overkill anyway. So you already have a little bit of extra detail. So if you use the spherical distance, that's when the latitudes are, have a constant width. And your longitude, you can actually then calculate their width based on a latitude. So you can start filtering your data a lot more to reduce the number of distance calculations you have to do. So when you run GeoSummary, what it gives you, and I'll summarize it very quickly now, come on. I fear my laptop is sick today. But so what it gives is it now summarizes your highest points of exposure from highest to lowest. So what it goes and does is it calculates all the distance calculations within, say, 200 meters or a kilometer. It then summarizes that data. Now, one of the things is when you're doing that calculation, you need to, if you have to just say, well, let's get all the risks within 200 meters, you'll find there'll be an area in Cape Town or Joburg that will have all of your top 20 risk profiles. Because obviously, if the CTC, CTICC is your largest risk, and that includes the buildings opposite, when you take the building opposite, it's going to include the CTICC, so you end up with a lot of duplication. So what I try and do with the code is actually loop through it to extract. Once you've been included in a high uh, geographical region, you then get excluded. And it's just an idea of to try and summarize where you've got large concentrations of risk. Okay, for some re reason, views not behaving well in this, but this is the output. So what you're seeing is at 200 meters, my largest risk ID is risk 1610. There is 4 million, 43 million, 43 million rands worth of risks. There are 29 risks at that location. And as you go down, it shows you what your different high-profile exposures are. And what you are then able to do, okay, something is a little sick on this computer. Uh, okay, that's, I'll need to just double check, but what this effectively will give you is it gives you a plot of all your risks, and then there's nice little circles highlighting your high concentration areas. If you look in the Word document, there's a sample output, and I'll double check why that didn't actually. The next, I guess, function, whoopsie. The last functionality that I've tried to build in this package is, and it's looking at the whole 200 meter exposure that the FSB asks, is you can think of South Africa as a whole lot of squares. And what you're able to do is you're actually able to divide South Africa up in that you 
calculate all your risks within each individual square and you sort them from largest to smallest. You then pick the highest risk there or the, highest, the, the area with the highest risk and you divide that up into four, into four, um, four parcels. So one square becomes four squares and you iteratively go through that process. And what you're actually able to do in a very short period of time is you can divide the whole of South Africa or Southern Africa into more than 55,000 polygons, the smallest polygon having something like a 10 meter uh, width and length. And if you think of it, if you're calculating risk within 200 meters and you're saying, well, these are all the risks within 200 meters, you actually get to a very accurate calculation quite quickly. I think one of the challenges I've had is how you actually plot that in a nice way because you end up with 50 something thousand polygons that you're trying to summarize on a map and it gets a little bit complicated. But in terms of trying to answer the question as to where are your highest regions of exposure, you can get a very accurate answer very quickly. That's a little bit of an approximation because what that does is it uses latitudes and longitudes. But if you think of it, if you've got a 13 meter area and you're using 200 meters, you're pretty close to 100% accurate on it. So this is still running a bit. So I'll wait for this to complete. Uh, but in the meantime, the last thing I just want to show you is, for those of you that are curious about spatial data but trying to do geocoding, trying to install an instance of Linux, trying to do all of that is actually quite a lot of hard work, particularly if you think of a corporate environment trying to get permissions to install Linux and a server, you'll probably wait between three and months and three years. One of the neat applications is Spatial Light. Now, Spatial Light is an open source data set. It is actually the most common, well, it's based on SQLite, which is also an open source database. It's very similar to people who are familiar with Postgres and that. SQLite is probably the most common database used around the world. If you're using Mozilla, a whole lot of applications, underlying what's keeping all of your settings and your, uh, your history is often a SQLite database. And Spatialite just adds some geometry calculations to it. When you're dealing with spatial data as well, your, your file sizes can increase significantly. So if you're looking at a map of Southern Africa, if you try and capture all of those points in an uncompressed format, you're looking at four gigs. So if you're trying to do this data in an open source, well, a freeware, uh, the community version of SQL Server, you're going to break it. And if you're trying to do this in Access Database, you've lost it a long time ago. The advantage, though, with Spatial Light is you don't actually have to install the application. You can just get the EXE on your computer, and you can execute the EXE. So there's no need to install anything. So for those of you that have an unfriendly relationship with your IT department, you can actually start doing some of the analysis on your own without having to install everything. So what I've gone and done here is I've actually gone and imported all of the data for Southern Africa. And what this has got is it's got every single effectively point of information road. So roads are typically encoded as lines. Um, your suburbs are either encoded as points, so that's when you just get given a single point, or for Cape Town they're encoded as polygons. And if you want to start playing with different features in your map set, trying to find out where police stations are, trying to find out where schools are, trying to find out that information, it's not perfect, but this is an example query of we've gone and summarized 
all buildings within one degree, so roughly 111 kilometers of the CTICC. And then we've gone and returned their distance in meters. So what you quickly see is that obviously the CTICC joins to itself. It's a polygon. I've compared it to the center point, so that's why it's 50 meters away from its actual location. You then have a whole lot of buildings that are null. So around this, there are a whole lot of buildings that haven't been given a name. They've just been, there's a building. But we can see that there are buildings within 50, 90, 94 meters, which you expect. Um, not trying to advertise the company, but their, their, head, their building is within 123 meters. Uh, tel telecom, don't know who that is, is within 129. Grand Parade Investments within 200 meters. So this is just one query that very quickly gives you a summary of where all of, and it's quite useful to play in spatial light, just to see what it is. I will be honest, trying to construct some of the queries to get every single point of information can get complicated because if you try and get every single point of information, you have to combine leisure, natural, place, power. You have to combine all of these. But what's interesting is if you want all the railways, you know they're in railway. Um, all military locations are stored there. So in the OpenStreetMap data, there's a tag, and this actually maps directly to that tag. But this is now completed, so what we have here is so what this went and did is it summarized the whole of South Africa and it divided South Africa into smaller and smaller blocks. So we started at two degrees, then we went to one degree, half a degree. 0.25 degree and just went down and down and down until it was 13 levels down. So it got to really small areas. And depending on your data set, how many polygons you divide South Africa into actually varies because if you've got data separated, it will divide South Africa into more polygons. If there's no exposure in a polygon, it will just stay at that size because there's no further division. In this instance, we've divided South Africa up into 189,296 individual polygons. So it's a significant number of shapes that we've divided South Africa up into. And this code never made it to the package just because it is a little bit, if you can imagine, trying to plot all those polygons. So we'll see if this one runs. But this is going to try and plot the first 15,000 polygons with the most exposure. Um, and it is going to actually, it should produce. So this is now basically plotting all of these 15,000 polygons on a map. And if we give it a little bit of time. So what you'll notice is when you look on the outset, there's not much that's shown here, and that's because the first 15,000 polygons are really concentrated into very small areas. So it will all be around Johannesburg, around Cape Town, uh, around Pretoria. But as we go in, you can actually get a summary. And this is basically giving you a very detailed heat map. And you can see the actual individual polygons that have been divided. And this is summarizing your high-risk areas, looking at the sum insured within one kilometer. And that's a parameter. So you can actually change that to reduce it to say it's 200 meters, 500 meters, or 10 kilometers. But that gives you the type of and the size, well, how small you can get these zones. Um, and if you really wanted to, you could go into 
further detail, you could divide it further. Just at 189,000 polygons, I guess I decided to stop it. Um, and if I can just show you. So what this just does is it's actually now told us this is giving us the boundaries, so what the actual latitude and longitude coordinates are, and the sum insured for the highest risk. So we can just pull it up. So within one kilometer of each other, located at minus 17.8 degrees, 30.92 degrees, with a width of 0 0.003 degrees, which is ridiculously small if you multiply that by 110 you realize you're at about 300 meters um, but you've got 50 million rands worth of some insured exposure so when it comes to that question of how many risks are within 200 meters you can actually get that calculation done I think so most of this demonstration has been in R if you are looking to do this in your organization and you've got really large data sets you can also do it in Postgres or PostGIS those are commercial databases that actually are designed specifically for spatial analysis. I know SQL Server has uh, released their spatial um, add-on. Postgres is used by a significant number of industrial servers. So to, it's, again, open source software, free to use, but doesn't, and doesn't, or doesn't come with a licensing fee, but actually is well used across a lot of industries. So I guess that concludes my practical demonstration. I think I've ended a little bit early. But if anyone has any questions, wants to ask anything, happy to take them. Think, sorry, just before I do answer, in terms of future developments on OpenStreetMap, um, the Chief Surveyor General has accurate land parcel data in South Africa. So they've actually got data down to individual earths in South Africa. They've also got suburbs, the actual polygons of every single suburb in South Africa. Now at the moment, the community supporting OpenStreetMap hasn't actually imported that data onto the, I guess, the OpenStreetMap, because there are some concerns around legally if they're allowed to use it. People are, approach are approaching the Chief Surveyor General to uh, see if you can actually add that information to OpenStreetMap, given it falls under the freedom of the access, well, Access to Information Act, whether it actually means it's now completely open source. But in terms of your organizations, you can actually import that data yourself. And you can run, you can use that to augment your own version of OpenStreetMap. Um, if you're wondering what the cost of that data set from the Chief Surveyor General, it is actually 100% free. They just charge you an admin fee, the grand sum of 196 Rand. I guess the frustration part is I tried to get that data set from them. I've probably been trying for about three months. I kept on emailing different email addresses. I never got through to anyone. Finally, a week ago, I got through to obviously someone who was helpful. That data set is sitting at home waiting for me to open it. But if you get hold of the right person, you can get the data set within three days. Uh, uh, Statistics South Africa, I guess my experience with them has not been always that pleasant at times. Um, they previously released all of their shapefiles and their sensor data on Africa GIS project. You could download the entire census data 
of a website. It was fantastic analysis you could do. It was huge. It was like a dream. The shapefiles, they have enumerated areas which they use, which were fantastic. They've subsequently removed that website off those websites. I don't know exact reasons for it. Um, but you can actually download, well, you can get the CD from them. There are organizations who sell the CD. They charge you an admin handling fee of 5,000 Rand. Um, if you get hold of the right contact at Statistics South Africa, they post it to you for free. Um, it's, again, you just got to find the person to get the data. But there is quite a lot of open, there is spatial data out there. It's often just trying to get it from the, our government institutions, not always the easiest. Thank you very much for attending, and yeah, if anyone, happy to discuss afterwards if you have any questions.